All right, welcome to Diabretic, the podcast where a T1D expert and a T1D artist come together to bake bread, and then we break bread with some smart and interesting people as we talk through the human in health and technology. I'm Stephen Horrocks, a PhD and expert in experiences with diabetes and devices. And I'm Melissa Horrocks. I am type 1 diabetic and an artist creator of all things. And this is season one, episode one, the inaugural, (laughs) uh, and aptly so, this is the sourdough starters and introductions episode. Uh, So we will be talking about the brand new sourdough starter that we just started just a few days ago. Barely keeping it alive. (laughs) Alive is alive, as we'll talk about. (laughs) So we will talk through some of that for... The first little bit here uh, at the beginning of the episode, and then uh, we will go a little bit into depth of our connections to bread, our connections to diabetes, and and really where diabetic came from. Right, have a little bit of the background of kind of how this was conceptualized in uh, Instagram, and then how we have adapted this to this format. So. We're excited to be here and welcome. All right. So uh, today's bread is actually not bread. What? So (laughs) spoiler alert. uh, Sometimes we're not going to be that literal. So uh, you can expect (laughs) But it is an ingredient to make bread, I suppose. So, I mean, it's the starter for bread. That's right. So I mean, so even though this itself, why is we're a bread, here? Yeah, beginnings, new beginnings, new beginnings. <laughs> um, so sourdough starters. Uh, we have some experience with these, and <laughs> some of us a little bit more, some of us a little bit less, and uh, some of us with complicated relationships to those past starters. You had to bring it up, and we will. Had to. Before we get there. Uh, <laughs> We'll talk a little bit about these, right? What is a sourdough starter? A sourdough starter is essentially a uh, culture of yeasts and bacteria that you cultivate, usually in some kind of jar or other vessel. Often you keep it on your countertop. Sometimes you can then keep it in the fridge to kind of put it off a little bit uh, if you're using it a little less frequently. But the idea is you're able to capture wild yeasts and bacterias that can leaven the bread, that can make it rise, so that you don't have to use the commercial yeast uh, to make the bread rise and uh, puff up in the oven. So, um, you know, I I first made a sourdough starter back in 2019, right? That sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. Um, and this was several months after I had really caught the bread making bug. I was it. Uh, I received a, a gift of a bread book for Christmas. Yeah. Right. Um, it was part of our family gift exchange. Yep. Right. And uh, it was. You've, you'd kind of made some loaves before and been kind of uh, disappointed in the outcomes. And I think it was was it Jen who bought you the book? It was. Yeah. Our my sister in law Jen. Yeah. Hi, Jen. Hi, Jen. <laughs> uh, bought you the book, and then it was fun seeing, uh, I don't know, 
this sounds cheesy, but it was fun seeing you kind of come alive and the excitement about it. Uh, when Steve gets excited about something, uh, he <laughs> obsesses about it and researches. And so that book, I think, was kind of the shooting off point to his bread obsession, which here we are. <laughs> Certainly so. And, you know, I had uh, I had found a basic focaccia bread recipe that I had really liked, uh, baked in a cast iron skillet, and uh, that was great, and I wanted to expand from there. I had received a Dutch oven for my birthday like a year or two prior as well, and I thought, this is great, I'm going to make some bread in this thing, and I made it, and I was super underwhelmed. <laughs> like, it tasted good, but in pretty much every other way, it was... <laughs> Kind of ugly. Yeah. It <laughs> didn't was super raise. flat. Yeah. I just didn't know what I was doing more than anything. <laughs> but Jen then bought me flour, water, salt, yeast by Ken Forkish, and it changed everything for me. Uh, and a lot of the techniques that he talks about there, even though most of the book is yeasted breads using commercial yeast, a lot of the techniques that he walks through a lot of the kind of familiarity that he's trying to help people build with dough, especially higher water content, doughs or higher hydration, doughs was pretty foundational to understanding how sourdough works too. And so it was kind of a, a perfect segue, more or less, <laughs> there. So I created this first sourdough starter uh, early to mid-2019, I believe, and uh, it was a whole wheat flour, sourdough starter, getting a little bit active. I had baked with it a few times and I, you know, eh, most of the loaves were they're not, pretty good. I mean, not very well risen, right? <laughs> it was a pretty young starter mm -hmm. and I didn't still know very much what I was doing. And uh, he loved to keep it kind of toasty in the oven because our kitchen is very cold. It is not insulated well. We have a house from the 20s. And, uh, silly me, <laughs> I guess I'm going to tell the story, uh, <laughs> decided I wanted to bake something. I don't know what it was. And so I preheat the oven. Steve is meanwhile teaching up at the university and I open the oven to put in whatever it was I was baking and I see the starter in there in its little jar and it is just, I mean, it's baked, <laughs> baked and <laughs> I, immediately was so heartbroken because I mean I called it his like starter baby because he <laughs> I mean it was like he had to feed it and water it and do all this stuff to it and he was obsessing <laughs> with it and baking with it and then I literally murdered it like I <laughs> called him. Did I call you in tears? I called him. You were very stressed. And very I was stressed. so sad about it. And then he was just like, oh, it's fine. I'll just make another one. <laughs> yeah. It very yeah. well defines our relationship. Like, <laughs> I just stress and anxious. Like, oh, my gosh, I've ruined his thing. Like, he's worked so hard on this. And I just killed it. And he was so chill. He's like, oh, just make another one. Yeah. It's fine. And so I did. In fact... <laughs> I ended up making several uh, after that because <laughs> after that, I started one with some rye flour and uh, it was super active. It works really fast for uh, whatever reason we, we won't go into here, but 
after a couple of weeks, I kind of forgot about it. <laughs> and it sat on the counter for a couple of days, two, three, four. I mean, it's probably more like five days without any Who knows? attention for me, but it got mold. <laughs> and once it's got mold, it's done. So tip number one, if there's mold, toss it. Don't even try. It's not salvageable. I know there are some ways that people say, oh, you totally could or whatever, but like, no, not just don't. It. It's not worth it. <laughs> and part of the reason why it's not worth it is it's super easy to start these. They are pretty resilient once you do, if it's uh, everything minus mold, of course. Uh, <laughs> but if it dies out, no big deal. Start a new one. Right. And within a couple of weeks, you'll have a pretty active starter and you can bake again and it's all good. And your partner will bake it again or <laughs> or murder it again. <laughs> or you start putting a sticky note over the controls of the oven <laughs> so that everyone knows what, what we're doing. Um, so uh, a couple of key details here. First and foremost, uh, the water matters a lot. Right. There, there are a lot of misconceptions about sourdough starters. There's a lot of of obsessing and stressing and all kinds of factors that people work into it. Most of it, don't worry about it. Honestly, you mix flour and water, you stir it together, and you let it sit. And then the next day, you take a little out, then you add more flour and water, equal parts, you stir it up, and you let it sit. And then the next day, you do the same over and over and over again. And that's it. That's all it is. Um, one key factor, though, boil your water Okay, get a kettle or a pot or whatever, let it boil for 10 minutes or so. And once it comes down to room temperature, you can just pop it in a water bottle and keep it and use that for it. Because the chlorine in most municipal water sources in the United States uh, is enough that it will damage or kill a lot of those microorganisms you're trying to cultivate there. Other than that, just go for it. Whatever flower you've got, just don't get the bleached kind. But whatever, whatever <laughs> flour you've got, use it, right? We use all-purpose and whole wheat, just kind of half and half. But there are plenty of people that just use regular all-purpose flour or whole wheat or spelt or rye or whatever. Whatever you've got, do it. It'll work. All's well. No big deal. All right. So uh, for the main conversation that we want to facilitate here for episode one is centered around really introducing ourselves and our connections to these conversations with bread and diabetes and technologies. Um, and then also a little bit about then how diabetic came about in general of uh, Instagram. And then also here with the podcast and, uh, there are really two kind of foundational questions that we uh, will be asking guests in each of these episodes moving forward that can help introduce and then get into some of these complex conversations that we're trying to have here. And those two questions are, what is your connection with bread? And what is your connection with diabetes? So, Melissa, what's your connection with bread? And what's your connection with diabetes? Uh, complicated. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll start with bread. Um, I mean, growing up, we kind of were talking about memories and what kind of bread means to us. And I mean, my grandmothers are what I think about when I think about my first memories of bread. Um, 
my dad's mother would always make incredible rolls for Thanksgiving. And I'm not sure her recipe, I don't know if it lives on. I need, I need to do some more digging um, because no one's been able to really recreate those. I just remember eating <laughs> lots of them. Um, and there's just something comforting about bread. I don't know. Um, the eating of bread, <laughs> but my, uh, my mom's mother, Grandma Jean, we call her, um, she, we would always, I mean, she was Italian, um, and we would always have bread with our gnocchi that we'd make or anything. She always would have a piece of bread with what she was eating. And so there's something comforting about sort of the addition of bread and eating. And more recently with, uh, Steve's new I mean it's not new it's been years now I guess (laughs) with his kind of love of bread making of course um that's kind of been kind of more recent we love making bread I mostly love eating the bread he makes (laughs) (laughs) um and you know there's a lot of policing of eating and uh carbohydrates with diabetics and so that sort of thing isn't something we'll address, obviously, because, you know, we can eat bread and, you know, policing people about their eating is so problematic. And I think that sort of has kind of been in play my whole life, you know? Hmm. Oh, you can eat that? Oh, you know, should you be eating that? <laughs> so right. um, I know there's a lot of complicated feelings around bread and carbohydrates for many people, um, but... So that's kind of my, I guess, yeah. <laughs> less less simple than I thought was going to be Yeah. Uh, about bread. but Yeah, for sure. Uh, my relationship with diabetes, obviously, I am a type 1 diabetic. Um, I was diagnosed when I was nine years old, so it's been about 25 years this February. Yeah, wow. Um, which, <laughs> when you think about it, wow, 25 years. <laughs> no kidding. Wow. Um, so, I mean, most of my life... I, you know, it's hard to remember not being diabetic. Mm. Um, so I, you know, we'll get into more of that, I guess, later on, but been living with it more than I haven't. So, yeah. And, you know, in, uh, in some of our conversations that we were having prior to this recording, we, you know, I kind of posed this question to you Mm -hmm. and, uh, when I did that, it was kind of difficult. Yeah. Right? I mean, talking about what my relationship to diabetes is, is hard because, yeah. you know, diabetes is complicated and, um, it's hard to wrap up all of that into, you know, an elevator pitch as we were kind of right. talking about. It's like, well, like right. <laughs> this is my life. This is like this huge part of your life and you know <laughs> how yeah. do you wrap that up into a couple sentences other than i have it and i live with it and you know <laughs> and it's kind of ever present yeah you know i mean diabetics know it's literally 24 yeah. 7 365 people are talking about that all the time i see that especially now it being diabetes awareness month uh in november right um, people just talking about, you know, the intensity of living with something that you can't ever not think about. Yeah. 
And that's hard for, I think that's hard for anybody to kind of, um, uh, <laughs> comprehend. Yeah. You know? Understand, I especially. I don't live with this myself. You yeah. Know? Um, so, <laughs> wow, it's just complicated. Um, and, yeah. you know, I think diabetics, my mom always would say this, you know, like you are the strong person you are because of this. And, you know, that's a blessing and a curse, obviously, because, it sucks. <laughs> it does. Um, but it's taught me a lot of things and it's made me who I am. So. Right. And so, you know, as we go with each of these episodes, we'll be talking about various themes and specific kind of topics related to diabetes and treatments and all this kind of stuff. Um, so we'll kind of expand on some of this as we go. Right. Sure. But, um, for in kind of connecting this conversation with uh, health and technologies then, right? What's your relationship to treatment technologies then as sure. someone who has lived with diabetes for 25 years now? <laughs> That's a quarter of a century. Right? Yeah. So I, um, I was just giving myself injections and using pens up until uh, 2009, um, I was always kind of hesitant about getting an insulin pump. I had had doctors kind of mention it to me. Um, I was a swimmer in high school. And so the thought of the complication of having to like disconnect it or, you know, deal with that in the water. I was literally swimming morning and night um, all the time. And it just seemed crazy to have something connect. I was kind of fearful. I think a lot of people are of being connected to something all the time. Um so in 2009, I was taking a trip to Switzerland um, for a design program, and uh, my doctor, we talked about it more and, you know, thinking about the ease of not having to, you know, give myself shots all the time as I'm exploring and stuff yeah. um, was kind of tempting. And so I made the jump and got an insulin pump in 2009, and I've had one ever since when we moved to Lafayette. Uh, what year was that? 2012? Yep. Or was it 2013 that I got the pump? <laughs> no, um, I don't remember. It was actually or the, the fall CGM. of 2014. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So 2014, I switched pumps. Yep. I changed insulin pumps, which kind of leads into Steve's uh, research. Um, and I got a CGM, which honestly was life-changing to me. Yeah. Um, life-changing in my control of my diabetes and sort of... Uh, I don't know, overall wellness. And, mm. you know, I have an amazing doctor here in Lafayette um, who I owe a lot of that <laughs> kind of change yeah. in my treatment too. You know, she's been crucial in my uh, life, you know, here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, life, if that's, so, if that's accurate, for and sure. That, I mean, yeah. people and their doctors, it's a big deal. You know, she help me through two healthy pregnancies. Um, and that's huge for diabetes. Yeah. It's kind of scary, um, but totally doable. So um, anyway, I got a new insulin pump and had some emotional uh, kind of letting go of that insulin pump and getting a new insulin pump. It kind of had become a part of me and it was really emotional. And yeah. then <laughs> Steve, there was like this like light switch in his head, like, wow, um, this is really interesting. I want to study this and, yeah. you know, I'll let yeah. you kind of 
what's your connection to diabetes and bread? We'll kind of move on to you, I guess, at this point. Well, so, uh, you know, we did talk a little bit about my connection to bread in that intro segment. And so, sure. you know, rather than <laughs> redouble that whole conversation here, um, I I will say in relation to my, my connection with bread is that that... Uh, Obsession, I think, is the some of the <laughs> language that Melissa used there earlier. Uh, that obsession that really kicked off in 2019 or so, a little bit in 2018, that then kind of uh, took off with that Ken Forkish book. Um, that was a significant shift for me in general, uh, in part because. I had for many years, and this gets a little bit into kind of personal areas uh, for me, especially in relation to kind of mental health stuff, but I had for several years kind of lost track of pretty much every hobby and side interest in general that I had besides my work. Um, I was in grad school and it can become all consuming, especially when uh then you know the few years before this uh we had uh you know we had we started having kids and time gets compressed frankly yeah. <laughs> and so uh when i started making bread in earnest really uh i found something that was not only just kind of cathartic in the process, because working with dough, feeling it develop over time, and feeling the way that the dough changes over time, uh, and then having this end product with that really engages all of your senses, and that I can then share with my family and other people around me, right, to consume, and it's just, it was a major interjection into my mental health yeah. like situation writ large. Mm -hmm. um, bread making became a form of self-therapizing in some ways. Yeah. Um, in finding a time and a space to start working through things that I had otherwise started working through um, in some other kind of context. So uh, bread for me, uh, in many ways is also a kind of mental health outlet. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because during that time, um, you kind of observe your partner in all kind of aspects of life, but observing Steve kind of find something to be passionate about, um, I think really pulled him out of kind of a rut that he was in, in his studies and in his grad, um, kind of life uh grad school is intense and you know <laughs> there's a reason why a lot of people quit grad school and yeah. you know it's it's hard yeah. it is really you know mentally emotionally physically exhausting and having outlets outside of that was you know life-changing for you i think yeah no for sure so. um and, 
you know, in many ways, making bread was not only good for me and our family because we then had like legitimately good and delicious bread to, mm-hmm. to eat and <laughs> consume. And that's like life sustaining, literally. Um, but I certainly was in a better place to then be interacting with everybody. And it was, uh, that was a really important thing for me. So from there, I guess I would uh, jump to this other question of what are my, what is my connection to diabetes and uh, treatment devices and technologies. And as I've thought about this over the past several years, uh, you know, in hindsight, I feel like diabetes has always been more or less present socially uh, mm-hmm. around me, uh, family and family friends and people around me. Uh, it was, uh, it was always kind of there. You know, my, my father uh, was diagnosed with type two in the nineties. And um, I remember a lot of conversations about that. I remember a lot of conversations about his insulin mm-hmm. injection and that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, that gets really complicated. And, you know, in future episodes, we'll probably get into some of these background things too, you know? Sure. Um, but then as I, you know, a few years later, um, I have a sister that was diagnosed with gestational diabetes while she was pregnant, right? Uh, and It's a whole other beast. <laughs> it's a whole other conversation, right? And how, I mean, then we talk about how kind of diagnosis functions in that, in that space, and it's a very different, very different thing, um, especially when that diagnosis then uh, morphs, more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, postnatal and uh it for some becomes then a chronic illness and um so she has lived with diabetes of various forms and types since then because things have changed for her over time right which um again has always just kind of been there right all around me um up until we met right right and we we met in 2005 so it's been a minute. <laughs> and uh, um, we, when we met, uh, again, diabetes was always present. <laughs> yeah. Because how could it not be? Again, yeah. it's it's a central part of your life. And we, I mean, you know, we started dating pretty soon after we met. It was only several, it was only a few months. <laughs> young yeah. and, young and in love. That's right. And uh, so, you know, you were... You were doing your blood tests. You were giving yourself shots. Sure. Um, yeah. I was giving you shots. Yeah. Like, you know, right? <laughs> like here, you want to try this? <laughs> yeah, I was like, um, yeah, sure, you know. <laughs> um, and so I was kind of like participating in your treatment a little bit here and there. Sure. Like that? Well, and I think when you live with someone with diabetes, it does become part of your life too. It has to, right? Because you know, lows and highs and emotional stuff, you know? I mean, there's just so much care that is involved in being diabetic uh, that, you know, someone you live with has to know about it, has to be aware of the, you know, the dangers, the everyday things that happen, you know? So... Yeah. And it's, uh, it's especially interesting... Uh, as someone who is awakened by the alarms on your <laughs> insulin pump from your CGM, 
Every night, no- every other night, basically every night. I mean, it's funny because I buzz. sleep right through it. And so he's got a like album. I think I'm just so used to hearing it that I, and I mean, I am a heavy sleeper. So I'll get elbows right. like, why are you beeping? And sometimes I just, I'm like, oh, it just needs calibration. Like I don't even look at it sometimes. I'll just like say it to like get him to just go back to sleep. But um, I mean, but it-, it doesn't work. <laughs> I don't just go back to sleep. I just shake her again and said, oh, will you check it though? (laughs) But that's all to say, like, I, you know, we have, uh, we have been dealing with a lot of the treatment stuff, a lot of the effects and side effects related to diabetes and other kind of, uh, tangential things Mm -hmm. that come up related to to this stuff together because, you know, we've been together for a long time now and, um, that, that just kind of comes with relationships in general. And then you add chronic illness that's always present for you into the mix. That means it's always present for me because I'm here with you, you know? Um, and so to get to that point that you had introduced as well, um, in 2014 in November, you got a new insulin pump Mm -hmm. and yeah, this moment was really striking for me, as I was with her and kind of trying to be with her as she was going through this, uh, you know, emotional process of getting rid of this thing. In fact, I remember when you packed up the pump itself in mm-hmm. the box mm-hmm. and you were putting it into the UPS box, box yeah. over at the UPS store. <laughs> and then I the cried. And crying. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so, then I was like, "This seems so silly." <laughs> like, <laughs> right? But like, this was a significant moment and a significant thing, and you know, I was processing those feelings along with you and trying to be there for you in this moment too. And yeah, like you said, something kind of clicked for me in terms of my work um, and interests in kind of research. I was, as you had mentioned before, in grad school and. Uh, up until this point, I had done a master's degree in American studies, and I was focused a lot on housing segregation, racial uh, housing segregation uh, in the North, primarily in Chicago. And uh, I had planned on expanding that research uh, throughout my PhD, right? Yeah. Trying to form a dissertation project around some of those questions in some interesting ways. Uh and that's a great project, and I hope that I can come back to it at some point as well. But this was, this was a big thing, and I was so taken and also invested in the implications of this connection that you had with this device that I turned to a couple of professors that were in my program there that do a lot of work in relation to science, technology, and society. And... One of them who does work with health-related devices, medical devices, and treatment, and that kind of stuff. Um, and basically said, you know, I, I had this uh, experience with Melissa. There's something here, and I'm, it's really fascinating. And I don't think I've ever seen a conversation about this anywhere that's trying to wrestle with this in this way. 
and they said hmm, back and forth I'd be, you know and they're like <laughs> no this is really interesting this could you know that that could be a really interesting thing so um i took one of their classes the next semester and just wrestled with myself about the <laughs> the thought of switching gears Changing so late in my program scary. <laughs> very much so i was horrified at the thought of having to <laughs> re uh, uh re envelop I mean, myself really basically start over in a whole new mm-hmm. discourse uh and it turns out that i was blowing that a little bit out of proportion but <laughs> um but also it was important and i so i did i jumped i i jumped in both feet first and followed this kind of central relationship in towards some interesting research questions and it became the core of all of my research related te- uh, frankly a lot of my teaching related work and publications and pretty much everything that I've done professionally for I mean for a while now for several years and I, I mm-hmm. have lost count now um, <laughs> but, <laughs> that happens when you, you know, are in school and for, so yeah, you know your whole life <laughs> forever too long oh no, you're done you're done, oh, done. <laughs> um and so you know it's been really interesting I think for us yeah. to be so ensconced in diabetes and treatment with your lived experience mm-hmm. and then also ensconced in diabetes and treatment through this kind of research lens. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's been fun to kind of share in that. I think having us both be so invested in this, you know, diabetes as a whole yeah um has really made sort of our connection even stronger than it was right right so um certainly <laughs> and uh you know it's been interesting as well as our now five-year-old and now two-year-old uh kids are <laughs> you know themselves kind of interacting yeah with, you know mom pump yeah. your pump your pump yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our uh, five-year-old <laughs> recently had a bout of uh, diarrhea, and <laughs> this will make sense when I get to the end of it. <laughs> but she, you know, she's processing what diabetes is too, right? And so she has this, you know, experience, and she yells from the bathroom, see, mom, I told you I had diabetes. I told you I had diabetes. Oh. Um, so that was hilarious. Just, I, It's just funny to see. I mean, I remember when Harper was, I don't know, two years old and her grabbing some of my insulin pump supplies and like putting them on her body because she'd seen me do oh, those right. things. And, you know, our um, son now is two and, you know, he grabs my pump and here's your pump, mom, your pump, you're, you're beeping, you're beeping. Like they know the beeps. They, they know that, oh, right. is something wrong? Like here, like here's your blood tester. So it's kind of interesting, you know, kids growing up witnessing, you know, someone using devices like this is kind of an interesting. Yeah point too yeah in fact i remember uh i guess that's been a couple of weeks ago uh we were in 
the kitchen trying to get anything done around this house <laughs> with two little kids and all the other things with life. And uh, in order to keep him busy, <laughs> you gave him your blood tester because yeah. he really wanted to see it. And I was like, oh, oh no, you're, really, you're like, oh, who cares? I just I took the needle out of the poker yes. and gave it to there him was because no, there was no because he has figured out how to like crank it back and I just imagined him stabbing himself. But you with know, a, I mean, let's be honest with a blunt lancet because when's the last time you changed it? Up? <laughs> Literally yesterday. No way. I what? changed it yesterday. Wow. Of course we're recording this. The I mean next I day. can't remember how long it had been in there, but. <laughs> I am notoriously bad for not switching it out. But Listen, I am certain that anybody who has diabetes that's listening to this right now can relate to what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, it gets to that point where you have to like poke yourself several times and you're like, okay. Um, <laughs> or you see like someone post what visually like up close what one of those looks like after. Under the microscope. Man, I mean... <sighs> It's but horrifying. then it's just, you know, who wants to switch that out every time? I end up stabbing myself. It's just I hear you. a pain. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, you know, he was uh <laughs> he was playing with the the blood tester and had a an old strip. I think it was a new strip that you gave you gave him one new strip and he was he was putting it in and he was lining it up right and putting it in the correct way and then it would beep so that it was ready <laughs> for it and he was like pretending to use the lancet and then he'd take it out and he would do it again and he'd, you know, pop open the container that was empty and he would put <laughs> the one back in and then he'd take it back out and do it again. And yeah, it was really amazing to watch. Yeah, it's crazy to see, you know, kids pick up everything. Yeah. <laughs> Good or bad. <laughs> Good and bad constantly. Yep. So, um, so, you know, I, I've... I've done all of this kind of academic work, research, uh, a lot of kind of uh, presentations and discussions with people. And uh, at the end of the day, what I find the most validating and fulfilling about all of that work is that I have a little bit more understanding of Melissa's experience of yours as you are... Uh, you know, living with this every day. And I can't know what that is because I don't. It's just not possible. And uh, I I want to be your person in a way that I can be as good of a support as I can, right? And so it's been, it's been especially important, I think, uh, as a resource then for my personal life rather than just like the work sure. that's out there, you know. But I think that's what makes what you're doing so powerful is how much you care about it, right? Hmm. I mean, if you don't care about what you're researching, what's the point? If you don't right. have some sort of reason for doing it, um, at least for me, I know for you, um, having some personal connection to it makes you want to fight for it, makes yeah. you want to, you know, <laughs> study the ins and outs and you know, make something more of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, frankly, we've done that together. Yeah. You know, you know, we started the diabetic page. <laughs> Let's circle back. <laughs> now here we are. Yeah. <laughs> um, we started the diabetic page because, 
I think we were both in a point where I was kind of like, ugh, I'm not doing anything creative that I'm enjoying and I'm, you know, frustrated and feeling, you know, like I want some sort of creative outlet. And Steve was like, hey, look up some of these videos of people scoring bread. And then, you know, I was like, make some bread so I can do this. So um, I don't even remember. You'll have to tell how you came up with the word. We we're like, let's start an account. We can share stuff and it should be something kind of quirky and combine you and me. And yeah, <laughs> and I wish I wish that I had written down when it happened, how the <laughs> idea came about. Because I honestly don't remember the context of it. <laughs> and I, all I remember is that we were talking about the scoring of bread and, um, cause there are some really amazing things that people are doing mm -hmm. with the tops of these loaves of sourdough. And I was like, this is exactly up your alley. <laughs> like <laughs> you, like this is exactly within your kind of skill sets and things. And so as we were, doing this and I was starting to like bake or, or I should say make some dough for you to score before we bake it. Um, we, uh, we were conceptualizing this Instagram page and for whatever reason, I mean, frankly, I honestly don't think we were even thinking like mixing diabetes with bread. I don't even know, but no. I feel like it became something as we kind of like it became what it was as we kind of talked through it. Um, yeah. And it, I think honestly, I think it's probably because <laughs> diabetes has been kind of all consuming for us collectively for sure. years. Right. And <laughs> so, so it just made sense. It just I was guess. ever present. And so I was like, well, dia diabetic, uh, diabetic, diabetic. Oh, wow. Hey, that, hey, this could work. <laughs> and it's, uh, and I love a good play on words. Oh, so, of course. <laughs> So, you know, that was a, a couple of years ago now, a uh, year and a half, two years. Yeah, it's ebbed and flowed, there. I mean, as life yeah. goes, you know. And, um, but. you know, the sourdough loaves have uh, waxed and waned <laughs> as we talked about with the sourdough starters kind of died. And then we'd get, I'd make a new one and then we'd <laughs> let that one die off too. And then life would get in the way or whatever. And. <laughs> But that's so, the beauty of bread, right? right? I mean, it doesn't have to be consistent in your life. It can be, you know, whenever and however you want it. And so that's, you know, that's how it's been for us. And when you have time in your life, you make it. And Yeah. And whether we are braiding in rich doughs like challah or if we are, you know, making a just country loaf or... Cinnamon rolls cinnamon or... Focaccia... <laughs> anything you know, yeah. um uh the truth is that that has again been an outlet for us to try and conceptualize something that brings together some of our interests and have some kind of collective outlet there um and as that over the past few months uh has kind of uh you know there were a few months there that were uh, kind of difficult to uh, bake within. <laughs> um, I was working a job that had me waking up at 3 a.m. and the sleep schedule was really bad and it was really hard. Frankly, it was really hard to bake bread. 
I mean, we were basically seeing each other one or two hours a day. It was yeah. like Steve goes to, we put the kids to bed at eight, eight thirty, nine. Sometimes by the time they finally got to bed, Steve would go to bed at nine or 10. He'd wake up, go to work. He would get home. I would go to work. I would get home. We'd eat dinner, put start over, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that was a really crazy time. And I think, you know, <laughs> That like we talked about the ebb and flow of you know your passions kind of yeah, and it became a space and a time for us to start rethinking what diabetic is and what it can be. Yeah, and that's really when the conversation about the podcast started. Yeah, I mean <laughs> I remember it distinctly because um, I think. You know, being on the job hunt and, you know, in a pandemic, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's just been a lot. And um, I recently quit my full time job. And, you know, so we both had kind of been in this. We kind of talked about mental health. It had been a rough time. I mean, f I think for everybody during the pandemic, yeah. um, especially. <laughs> Certainly. So everyone had kind of been feeling you know, those things in different ways. But are we recently put our kids back in a preschool. And so on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, we have three hours without the kids. <laughs> and so we uh, took, I think we had a short break because Steve's been teaching, but we went and ate pizza at a local um, shop and... I, you know, I was like, why don't you do a podcast? I think we'd been talking. Have we been talking to someone else about a podcast? Yeah. And, <laughs> and I was, I, you know, I just saw this spark in his face. Yeah. Like, you know, you should call it diabetic. You know, that would be really cool. You could talk about bread. We could talk about diabetes. You could, you know, <laughs> and I just saw over the next week, Steve <laughs> just researched and was like, oh, this, 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 like I can, you know, I could. I saw the light in him kind of rematerialize. And so I knew it was something, something had been born. <laughs> yeah. So. And so the more that we talked about it, uh, the more, you know, cause how we conceptualized framing this uh, has changed several times over the last few months. And, yeah. <laughs> um, the, you know, th over that time, we have kind of narrowed in toward a space where I think we can still do all of this bread stuff that can, you know, connect to some of our conversations about diabetes and technologies, yes, but do some of that kind of cathartic work for us and hopefully for you all who are listening to this <laughs> in some form or another. And then also get into some of those really important conversations. Sure. The, you know, some of them are funny. Some <laughs> of them are wacky, whatever. And some of them are deadly serious. You know, we, we will have to talk about the insulin crisis in the United States and globally. Yeah. Um, the truth is that one in two people with diabetes in this world do not have access to the insulin that they need to live. And it is exclusively due to 
the greed of the three manufacturers that hoard all of this. And there is a lot of conversation we need to have there. We will open up some of this as we get in with guests and with you and me mm-hmm. as we go. Um, and so, you know, frankly, working through the, like I said, the deadly serious parts of diabetes and technologies is cathartic too. And then we can eat some slices of bread and <laughs> hopefully feel a little bit better in this moment anyway. Uh, I mean, sometimes that's all you can do, right? Because unfortunately we can't control some of the greed and healthcare crisis, I guess you can yeah. call it because sure. it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous yeah. that insulin costs 300 plus dollars a bottle, you know? I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. We'll have to get into this more in yeah. another episode, I guess, because there's just so much. We will. Um, So much to be talked about. So. For sure. And there are, you know, there are layers and facets to this conversation that I think will be illuminated by some of our guests. You know, yeah. there are people who are fighting that fight. Yep. Like you said, there are some things that we can't do. You know, I don't have, uh, frankly, I don't have a kind of platform to fight that pharma fight individually. Mm-hmm. But what I do know is that there are organizations and people who are fighting that fight. Yep. And those are folks that we need to connect with. And in some ways, that's what diabetic is all about. Yep. And so as we uh, make our way through uh, these first few episodes here in season one, there are uh, a handful of really kind of, I guess you could call them interesting conversations about diabetes and treatments and technologies and things. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, some that will be uh, interlaced with humor and enjoyment and all of these things that make life worth living. (laughs) Right. Sure. And also uh, we'll have to intersect with some of those deeply necessary and difficult conversations as well. I mean, that's how we infect change, right? Right. Is having those hard conversations and, you know, making more people aware of the problems and making more people care about it. And so, you know, that's why as we have built out this podcast in its format as it is currently envisioned, that's why we are talking about bringing in guests to talk through some of these things. Because we have certain connections to diabetes and the insulin crisis and treatment technologies and all kinds of other things. And there are myriad other people who have related but very different relationships to these things. And those perspectives are vital. Right. In the same way that it's vital for me to try and understand yours. Sure. If I'm going to understand how to right. be with you as a partner and do this work. Yeah, I mean, everybody's experience with diabetes is different, right? I mean, we all connect on certain levels about the mundane things about, you know, being low or high or, you know, the ups and downs um, or the emotion, the, the emotions that go into living with a chronic illness. But, you know, everybody's yeah. experience is different. Everyone has different access. Everyone has different right. 
doctors who, you know, I've had some not great experiences with some doctors, you know, I am lucky now to have an incredible doctor. And, you know, I count myself lucky because not everybody has someone like that. And, you know, not everyone has access to the technology that I have. And, you know, that in itself is something to be talked about as well. For sure. Um, and I think it's also important that uh, we say up front here that these conversations will also include a lot about just life, hobbies, work, just the general IRL stuff, <laughs> right? Um, joking with the diabetes online community, the kinds of <laughs> like, memes and jokes and stuff that circulate, they're ridiculous <laughs> and hilarious, right? Yeah. And also people are just doing interesting things, yeah. right? Um, and so for, you know, with, uh, for you, for example, you are an artist, you are a baker and a decorator, and you are doing interesting work. And that is a conversation too. So it's not all just exclusively conversations about diabetes because people are whole people. People don't just live with diabetes, <laughs> right? Sure. It's not the defining characteristic of anybody, right? Right. As we do so, we will, you know, continue to bake some bread and uh, hopefully use that to kind of take the edge off as we go. <laughs> so We're excited. So, yeah. Well, that wraps up our episode one here of Diabretic, our sourdough starters and introductions. Our next episode, episode two, we will be baking cardamom bread. Yum. And the reason we're baking cardamom bread is because our guest is Dr. Heather R. Walker. She is a social scientist and instructor at the University of Utah Health. She is doing fascinating work on diabetes identity, and our discussion goes into some really interesting places there. Follow along on Instagram at Diabretic and let us know what you like about our most recent episode. Follow along for more tips on bread and what we'll be making, who we'll be talking to. Um, we're excited for what's to come. Yep. So subscribe wherever you caught us on this podcast. And if you wouldn't mind while you're there, write us a review. It'll do us a favor. And uh, more to the point, we will have a little bit better idea of what it is that you all want to hear from the podcast moving forward. So thank you all. And we will see you in the next episode. <laughs>